September 11th, 2022. In church, ready to worship the Lord. Amen. I'm excited to be here today. We are concluding today a sermon series I've called Discipleship Matters, where we have been unpacking the 12 men that followed Christ. And you know, today is also the first Browns game of the season. First Browns game of the season. And after church, I have a meeting. And it's my birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't say it for that. I was just trying to say there's all these reasons to get out of here early. <laughs> there's all these reasons to get out of here early. But honestly and sincerely, I'm looking forward to this service and I, I'm hoping and trusting that the Lord will bring us something special in the conclusion of this sermon series because I have really, really enjoyed it. You know, sometimes my heart's troubled with a sermon. Really. I, I don't know all the, together why sometimes. I just maybe I feel it's difficult to get my point across or it's, uh, it's just heavy because of, of its conviction or whatever. But I have just so enjoyed talking about these men. And perhaps it's because they are, just like you and I, full of failure, full of weakness, full of reality. But they're all called, each and every one of them. They're all called to the same place. They may have done different things with it, but, but we have covered 10 of the 12. And so we jump in today to this, one more time, Discipleship Matters. And today our subtitle is Full Spectrum. From the book of Luke chapter 6, the verse we've read each of these weeks, and it came to pass in those days he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. When it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he also named Peter, Andrew his brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. Discipleship, church, one more time, matters. Discipleship matters. If you believe that you can be a Christian and not discipline yourself, you are in error. You're simply wrong about it. God calls people to the cross to change them. Amen? Amen? He calls them as they are, but not to remain and to stay as they are. He calls them to undergo a transformation as it were, a metamorphosis, or as the Word says in John 3, to be born again of water and of spirit. It is not God's will for us to remain in sin, but through the renewing of our minds, through the regenerative power of the cross and the Holy Ghost, to be new creatures in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away, and all things 
have become new. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is a pupil. Quite simply said, a disciple is one who is disciplined. Disciplined. And there are, depending on the person, areas in our lives that are easy to discipline. If you're an early bird, it's easy to get out of bed and, and be out on your way and be productive in the morning, isn't it? It's just easy because you're just made that way. But if you're a night owl, you strain against all of society. Amen. Amen. I, got, I, I see a lot of head nodding because no one apparently wants to say, yeah, that's me, I know. I'm the guilty party that's always running late. Oh, all right, just, just lie about it. That's fine. Yeah, it requires discipline. You have to make yourself go to bed sometimes. Amen? Well, I guess I'm just talking to myself. I'm that way sometimes. I just, it's a stupid show, Dan. Turn it off. Let's go to bed. Let's go to bed. Discipline yourself to do the right thing. Many people teach that, hey, you want to discipline yourself? Start every day by making your bed. You will have accomplished something. Even if the rest of the day goes off the rails, you will have done something. This is the first step for them. Make your bed. We have to discipline ourselves in Christ to follow him as he wills, as he speaks, to do what he has called us to do, to be where he has called us to be, to speak the words that he has told us to speak. And that's difficult for humans because we are full of what? Ourselves. We're full of ourselves, each and every one of us, even after we get the Holy Ghost. We war against the flesh, which is why Paul writes to us to mortify the deeds of the flesh. That's very strong language. It's basically like in the modern vernacular saying, murder the deeds of the flesh. Kill them. Slaughter them. I heard several stories this week of grotesque and horrible murders around the country. And I, one of them local I didn't even know about, but out in California, uh, someone was beheaded. Horrible, gruesome, in public. Grotesque that we live in such a day that, that, that this has to happen. But extrapolating such a violent act, what God is calling us in the spirit to do is to treat the deeds of the flesh like that, to lay them waste, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Loving the world is enmity with God. All that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Love God. Love people. But don't love yourself. And that requires discipline, discipline, discipline. So who's left? Just Judas and John. And so we begin our last two disciples, Judas Iscariot. Much has been offered as an explanation or a definition of what that surname, so to speak, means, Iscariot. 
No one really knows what it means. Does it just mean that he comes from this particular city of Kerioth, some have said? Does it mean that he was part of a, a riotous and, and violent group, as some have said? Does it, it, was it added on afterwards? No one seems to know why he is referred to as Iscariot. But his first name, Judas, is from the Hebrew, and one of the first 12 tribes of Israel, Judah. It is the Greek rendering of the Hebrew name Judah. And if you recall from other Bible studies that Judah means praise. Judah means praise. And that sounds like a very positive thing, right? That you would be named for praise, praising God, worshiping Him perhaps. Yeah, that'd be a great, great thing if you did it. Judas the traitor, Judas the shrewd, Judas the thief, Judas also even referred to as the devil. The only one of the twelve that he called not from Galilee, but from the city of Kerioth. But just because he was a thief and shrewd and just because he was a traitor, just because he was from another area did not negate this fact that he also was called. He also walked right beside Jesus. He went to the same cities, the same places. He had responsibility in the founding of Christianity. How can you say that? Well, if you read and you remember that each of those that he called. He also gave them power over unclean spirits, gave them power to work miracles. Anybody remember that? Amen. So the man that walked with Jesus and was sent and cast out demons was still the same man that betrayed him. Some of you may remember a couple years ago a sermon I preached about the downside of miracles. Just because you see miracles doesn't mean you're saved. Just because God works miracles through you doesn't mean you're holy. God will do what God will do. He wants to save those, however, who have submitted themselves, disciplined themselves, made themselves at the mercy of the Almighty. Yeah, he witnessed all those same things the other 12 did. Peter walking on water, Jesus raising Lazarus, on and on and on we could go. Judas likely was highly intelligent. I say that because he was entrusted with the money. You remember a couple weeks ago we were talking about Matthew. Matthew was an accountant of sorts. He did the trading, right, for the Romans. He, he had plenty of experience doing it. But somehow or other, Jesus said, no, let Judas take care of the money. As if he didn't know. Yeah, well, certainly he knew, but still. He was likely very intelligent, likely very trusted by many of the others, if not all of the others, that it's in capable hands. It's in wise hands, the money. He's in a good place. 
The Bible says that the thief comes not but for to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And for Judas, that thief, that enemy, was the priesthood. When at some point in the ministry of Christ, they found Judas alone and at a weak point perhaps. And they said, what will it cost us for you to betray Jesus Christ? What would it cost us for you to sacrifice this man who is turning our world absolutely upside down? And so no one really knows the exact reason. Perhaps we could say it was greed. He just wanted the money. But you said he already had the money. And John writing said that he was stealing money from the bag. Was it just greed? Seems to me not a complete picture, but perhaps it had a little bit to do with greed. Some have said, well, he was a, a radical. He was like the zealots, and he wanted Jesus to become king, not in name, not in just this power of what we were seeing on the sidelines, but he wanted him to become a true king and a royal figure in all of Israel. And so he thought this would force his hand. Some have said. I'm not sure if that captures all of the picture either. Maybe. Or perhaps it was simply this. After three and a half years of witnessing all this amazing stuff, perhaps you just, just thought, he's going to get out of it anyway. I've seen him escape death before from these guys. He just slips right through their hands. They can't hold him, so why not take 30 pieces of silver while he escapes? But it all came to a climax, as you know, at the Last Supper, when Judas and the other 11 were called into that upper room and Jesus, bringing them in, washed each and every one of their feet. He took the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. He said, this is my blood. Drink of it, each and every one of you. This is the new covenant I'm making with the world. And suddenly... Have you ever had a Thanksgiving meal, a Christmas meal, whatever holiday with the family, and someone says something that just takes all the air out of the room? Maybe you're that person. I don't know. Well, Jesus all of a sudden says, in the, in the midst of this very, very moving and, and, and passionate meal, he says, one of you is going to betray me. Is it I? Is it I, Lord? Is it I? Who is it going to be? As he dips bread and hands it to Judas, he says, what you're going to do, do it quickly. You know, it's, it's awfully deep within human emotion to retaliate against betrayal. And, I mean, if, if you knew one of your close friends or confidants or maybe your kids or your parents was going to betray you, let, even ignoring that it was to the death. Would you not stop them? Would you not try to stop them? 
I would say with few exceptions, we would speak up and say, what do you think you're doing? I'm not going to let you get away with that. Uh-uh. But Jesus, knowing his future, knowing what was coming, knowing how important it was, simply said, just hurry it up, man. This is painful for me. What you're going to do, do it quickly. And so in the middle of dinner that night, Judas, in haste, left. And what he missed was outside of, let's say, the Sermon on the Mount, perhaps the most impactful lesson that Jesus gave to his disciples. It is in this lesson, this diatribe Jesus gives where he explains to them, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's here when Judas has run out the door that he says, yes, I'm leaving you, but I am going to send a comforter to you. It's in this discourse where Judas is absent. He says, I am the vine, I am your source, but you are the branches. The world, he says to them, except for Judas, the world is going to hate you, but don't fear for I have overcome the world, and I will turn your sorrow into joy. Judas means praise, as I've said, but praise betrayed the Lord with a kiss. When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But don't worry, Judas. He'll turn your sorrow into joy. But that's right. You weren't at his side when you needed to be the most. Understand what is happening here. His great, great remorse of what he has done once he's seen He didn't get away. He didn't escape. I was wrong in what I was thinking. It didn't happen the way I thought it was was going to. So he brings back the money. To whom? To the priests. Do you recall why there was a priesthood to begin with? It was to satisfy the sin and the penalty of sin in the Old Testament. You brought a sacrifice. You did bring money, but you brought animal sacrifice, and you brought yourself, and you submitted to the law of God. I've done wrong. Priesthood, help me make it right. And what did this priesthood tell him when he admits his sin? What's that to us? You figure it out. What a sad passage that the priesthood, charged with taking care of the people, charged with helping them with their sin, falls so low that not only do they pay for this to happen, they say, eh, we don't really care. He tosses the money down. Throws down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed, and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful to put them in the treasury. Isn't it amazing? The priesthood said, It's fine for us to pay you maybe out of the treasury, but we can't put it back into the treasury. 
Folks, sin is a serious issue. It is against sin that we've got to be disciplined, that we've got to be a disciple in this world against sin and for him. There's clearly no discipline with the priesthood. They consulted together and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled that was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, They took 30 pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, whom they of the children of Israel priced, and gave for them the potter's field as the Lord directed me. This is a very obscure story, and I, I pardon me that I'm taking a little bit of extra time to tell this, this sub-story about Judas. You know, this potter's field, this field of blood that was purchased, in the Old Testament, it was called the Valley of the Son of Hinnom. In the Valley of the Son of Hinnom, in the days of Ahaz, and in the days of his grandson, Manasseh, the children of Israel sacrificed their little babies to Molech, Isn't that a wonderful thing? Oh, no, not the act. Not the act. But this is how all-encompassing the sacrifice of Jesus is. That even in his betrayal, he purchased that field. He purchased those little babies. He purchased those that the world has thrown aside. The, this field, the potter's field, where they would bury strangers, was nothing more in this day than a heap of trash. It was the dump for the city. But God says, I'll take your trash. I'll take what you reject. And I'll turn it into something wonderful. But Judas, you didn't, you didn't catch the message. You were absent. Even when you were present, even when you were there, all you could think about was the money. All you could think about was the power. All you could think about was the control. And so most of the time we simply depict Judas as the betrayer without much depth of his character. But I will say this for him. He had great sorrow and remorse when he realized what he had done. I wonder, do we? It's awful quiet in here. I, I wonder... Do we realize it when we've done something wrong? And I'm not trying to say that we ought to go out and hang ourselves as Judas did, but I am saying do we realize it or do we excuse it away? Oh, I wish I had a witness in here today. See, it's tight and it's uncomfortable. I've been talking lightheartedly about ten other characters, and all of a sudden I'm talking about Judas the betrayer, and we don't like to associate ourselves with such a person. We're not like that. We've never betrayed Jesus. We've never denied him, Peter. I wish I had a witness right now. On this night, Peter did not you know, sell him for money. He sold him out for nothing. He sold him out just for his reputation. I tell you, I have not been with him. 
But even the scoundrel, even the dirtbag, is called to the cross of Jesus. Anybody here got a troublesome neighbor? Anybody here got a, a, a troublemaker down the street? Anybody here have a drunk that's in the neighborhood? Oh, come on. Say amen, you liars. Come on. Unless you are that one and you can still say amen. They need Jesus. The world needs Jesus. And your discipleship may be the thing that can bring him to them. Your discipleship matters. And finally, John. John the Beloved. John was as bold and vigorous, or more so than Peter, for he did beat him in a race, as fierce and as passionate as his brother James, the sons of thunder, as they were known, for he was there begging Jesus, come on, Jesus, let us call down fire on the Samaritans. Let's burn them all. Let's kill them all. As intellectual as Matthew or Judas, and you would only know that if you've read his words, as inquisitive as Philip, as wise and reserved at the right time as Nathaniel, and as quiet as the son of Alphaeus, James, when it was needed. James, rather John, I'm sorry, John was the everyman. John seemingly had some of the best characteristics of all of the other disciples. He was perhaps the embodiment of what the famous psychologist Jordan Peterson says men need to be. He says men need to be absolute monsters. But they need to know then how to control it. They need to be powerful. They need to be dangerous but then they've got to learn how to constrain themselves. And women, that's a lot of times where you come in. Thank God for a good woman, for a good wife who knows how to constrain her husband. John, in uh, the, the poetry of the New Testament, it, it is perhaps uh, uh, unparalleled when he writes words like he does in the beginning of his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. You, you, you see really what's going on here is masterful. You open your Bible to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, and what do you read? In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. So what does John in this absolute divine spark of genius, how does he start the New Testament? How does he start his gospel? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was there with him. All things that are made, right? In the beginning, God created in the heavens and the earth, right? All things were made by him and through him, and there's nothing here that exists without him. And what happened on the first day, right? The, he said, let there be light, right? And what does John say? He was the light. Ooh, I, I mean, 
just, just, it just can't happen without the divine spark. I, I, it, just, it just can't happen unless God is moving over this man, right? The light shined in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And then we get down to verse 14, and he says, The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so John starts the New Testament, this whole new covenant thing, and he says, Jesus is God! Well, I know that was awfully loud, and I may have woken you up if you were asleep. But, but John wanted to drive the point home early and often. Early and often. What's that thing they say when you're creating something on a computer? S-E-S-O, right? Am I correct? Save early, save often. That's, that's less needed these days. You kids don't know about that because of autosave. But, but once upon a time, you could spend hour after hour after hour after hour typing, and you forgot to save at any point along, and all of a sudden your, your computer decides to have a seizure, and all of your work is gone. So John wants to make no mistake about understanding who this Jesus is, right? He is the Word. He is God. He is the one we were looking for, and he came in flesh. In the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they tell us what Jesus did, where he did it, when he did it. But it was John more than any other who tells us who Jesus is. John knew who Jesus was, who he was more than the other 11 because while the others were mesmerized, as was John, and while the others were motivated, as was John, and the others called him rabbi, as did John, John more than any other was desperately in love with Jesus. Come on, church, if you really believe that discipleship matters, if you believe that you need to be disciplined, learn this lesson if you've ignored me for three other weeks. Hear me right now. You need to be absolutely desperately in love with your Savior, with your Master, with Jesus Christ. It's the most important relationship you'll ever have. It's the biggest thing you'll ever do. It's the most important commitment you'll ever make. You've got to see Him high and lift it up his glory filling the temple his glory filling the whole earth you've got to be outside of yourself in love with Jesus Christ no it's not perverse no it's not sexual in nature he knew who Jesus was I know that that we often talk about how Peter was the first one, right? Who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I, I, I am? And, and, and Simon spoke up and said, Thou art the Christ, Son of the living God. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. I give unto you this day the keys of the kingdom, and no longer shall you be named Simon but Peter. Right? But somewhere along the way, John got it. And boy, did he ever get it. Boy, did he ever sink it deep down into his heart. Peter knew it first, and he still left him when he was arrested. 
Peter knew it first, but he still denied him when he was questioned by the crowd. But when John got it, as the psalm says, he hid it in his heart that he might not sin against God. He knew who he was. And if this is God walking with me and talking with me, I better observe the words of Moses that thou shalt love the Lord thy God. What did he say? That thou shalt follow around the Lord thy God? That thou shalt just do whatever he says? Well, yeah, maybe some of those things too. But, but no, he says that thou shalt love the Lord with all thy heart, with all thy... Oh, I wish I had a witness right now. Discipleship, church to church, discipleship matters. You better know who he is. And if you know who he is... You ought to be in love with him, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. John writes to the world many essential things, that God is light, that God is love, that we should love God, that we should love one another. He tells us who Jesus Christ is and what it means if you're anti-Christ. I know a lot of the Christian world likes to get obsessive about eschatology or the end of days or when he's coming back, but John speaks up and says, hey, while you're waiting for the son of perdition, let me just explain to you what the Antichrist is. It's anyone who has denied that Jesus has come, anyone who has denied that Jesus is God, anyone who denies that Jesus is the Messiah, and he was absolutely beside himself. If anyone were to deny who Jesus was, he writes in one of his letters for second, third John. He writes in one of his letters, letters about some jerk in one of the churches. He says, I can't wait to get there to kick him out of the church. Now, that's modern vernacular, but you read it. That's what he said. He's in the church and he's causing trouble. He wants to be the preeminent one. Jesus is the preeminent one. Oh. Can I just say it this way if you didn't like that word? Jesus is the important one. Jesus is the reason why we're here today. Church, Jesus is the reason that you got up and tried to be on time and why you clapped your hands while you got, when you got here and raised your voice when you got here. Jesus is the one why this, this fat man gets up on Sundays and screams a little bit and sweats a little bit trying to persuade someone. Jesus is the reason. I know we've got this thing that we say towards the end of the year, Jesus is the reason for the season. But read John. He said Jesus is the reason for everything. He's the all in all, the lily of the valley, the bright morning star, the first, the last, the one which was and is and is to come. He's the Almighty. Woo! Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus. 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 He had no stomach for a world that would deny who he was. He had no stomach for a world that would deny the work of the cross because he was one of the 12, the only one who saw him crucified. I know one of the other disciples said, my Lord and my God, right? Tom, right, Thomas, right? After the resurrection, my Lord, my God. But it was only John who watched the nails go in. Nothing 
would separate him from Jesus. Well, was he sinless? No, that's not what I'm saying. He was, he was scared like we get when, when the soldiers came with Judas. He got scared. He ran at first. He did. He didn't know what to do. He was scared. But when the crowd gathered, he followed. And when they laid the cross upon him, he followed. And when they put the crown of thorns on him, he followed him. What are they doing? This is God. This is God in flesh. What are they doing? The same night, Judas betrayed with a kiss. Jesus embraced John to his chest. When you come to church, I think it's very uh, seemingly trite and simple and dismissive. What are you trying to get out of it? Right? But it's a very worthwhile question because at the Last Supper, Judas had on his mind, when can I get out of here when they won't notice? I've got to go and tell them where he's going to be. You know, kind of like we come in on a church on Sunday and we're trying to figure out you know, what we're going to do afterwards, who we're trying to talk to in church and who we're trying to avoid in church and whether or not we're going out or do we have a ham in the oven at home and, and we've got all the thoughts of the week yet to come. And, but John's there and, and he's, he's just thinking about Jesus. He's just trying to get closer to Jesus. He's moving, he's doing musical chairs to try to get the closest seat to Jesus. Why do you come to church? Do you come to church to get close to Jesus? And I don't want to discourage you if it's just out of this innate sense of obligation. Good, you ought to have that. You ought to have that. Because there's going to be a lot of times you don't want to come. You don't want to talk to us. Want to be around us. But is there ever a time where you're just so overwhelmed and desperately in love with God, you just you can't get away, nothing else is important. Nothing else really matters. I, I just want him to embrace me. I just want him to give me a hug. I just don't want to leave his side. John repeatedly taught about love for God and for people. But again, he had no room for those who would deny him. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you, he took it to heart. When you depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city that would deny Christ. Oh, those are heavy words, folks. We got a world that is just uh, our culture now. American culture is just nothing but Sodom and Gomorrah. It's just nothing but that. Over-sexualization, perversion, destroying children, mutilating our bodies. 
And it is a horrible, horrible sin, but here in the book of Mark, John heard the words, it will be more tolerable for all that disgusting perversion than for someone to say Jesus isn't real. Jesus isn't the Messiah. Jesus isn't God. Yeah, there's a reason why John stands alone. There were the 12 of the many that followed. There were the three Jesus called to special events. But John, John was the one who laid against his chest and was embraced. John was the one at the cross, and it was because he loved Jesus. More than anything, how's the song say it? More than worldly wealth, more than life itself, I, I love you, Jesus, more than anything. And if we do, if we do, why do we spend 95% of our time pursuing other things? Not that we can adequately measure out the time to satisfy him. He's worth every second. Amen? He's worth every, he's worth every second. He's worth every dollar. He's worth everything. But why do all of the things of life and of this world loom so large and we put him on the shelf? That's not where he belongs, church. He belongs high and lifted up. If we, if we would lift him up, as he said, if, we, if he be lifted up, he would draw men unto him, all men unto him, right? Draw all men unto him. You don't need to be scared by a skeptic or a cynic who doesn't believe. You need to be bold in the Holy Ghost and proclaim the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Oh, you work in a place of no faith. You live in a world of no faith. Believe it anyway. Proclaim it anyway. Preach it anyway. Live it out anyway. Don't be afraid. Oh, I'll lose my job. Well, I, I got news for you. There will come a time that you will not be able to buy or sell. You know who wrote those words? John. Although then we called him the revelator, right? Well, why did he get special revelation, right? Why did he get special revelation? He's the only disciple that we know for certain did not die a martyr's death, though he, they tried, attempted to boil him in oil. And he just treated it like a day at the spa. Like, oh, I needed a little bit of moisture. As God, just like he did for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, protected him from the heat and the torment and the pain. We got to get rid of this John. We can't kill him. Let's put him in exile. Put him on the island of Patmos. That wasn't enough to stamp him out either. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I saw him. That one, that, that one I called the word a long time ago. That I saw him. That one I'm deeply in love with. I saw him 
He's the first and he's the last. He's the Alpha and the Omega. And he begins to write and to describe, have through these, this vision, all these many things that are yet to come. And we look for this day, right? The day of the Lord. We look for all these things to come. We ask ourselves, has this happened yet? Has that happened yet? Is, are we waiting for all of it? How much, has, how much time is there left? All the while, John's really trying to tell you that you don't need to be obsessed with all the torment that's coming to the world. Those things are going to come. What you need to be obsessed with and understand it's the revelation of not John. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because when all of those things happen, after, after all of it, it's him that's going to descend. It's him that's going to come and take his church. It's him that's going to establish New Jerusalem. It's him that's going to be on the throne and that river of water flowing out from him and the tree of life on either side of it where you can come and eat freely at any time, at any season. It never ceases to bear fruit. It's about him. It's about Jesus. Church, get this in your heart. Get this deep within your soul. You might look to the Sunday school teacher, to the preacher, to the song leader. Your discipleship matters. You have to know who he is. You've got to fall in love with him and not leave him. And know this, he'll never leave you as our musicians would come. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never stop loving you. What could separate you from the love of Christ? Peril, sword, things present, things to come, angels or demons. Paul says that none of these things could separate us from the love of God, from the love of Christ. Nothing, nothing that has ever been nor is, nor ever will be, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Would you stand with me, church? But here is the cold, hard fact. There are many things that separate our love from Him. He'll keep on loving us, but will we keep on loving Him? Did you hear the preacher? We'll forget about him. We'll deny him. He'll never do that to us. So as I conclude today, can I just ask you, do you love him? Do you love him? He loves you. Wretched as we are, sinful as we are, arrogant as we are, hateful as we are, he still loves us. He still loves us. And he's called us to be a disciple. He's called us from the multitude he's called us and said I want you I want you I want you like the original Uncle Sam I want you so come come unto his kingdom come into his service we talked about it last week as he spoke to Peter come and dine come and spend time with him come in and do mighty things for him Love him with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength.
Would you raise your hands towards heaven right now and begin to speak to the Lord? There are some things I may not know There are some places I can go But I am sure This one thing, my God is real, for I can feel Him in my soul. My God is real, it's real in my soul. sing this today I invite My you to come God forward and fill this altar with prayers and fill it He's with praise in my soul. and fill it with love for the Lord and for your brothers My God would you come forward would you speak to the Lord hallelujah and made me whole hallelujah hallelujah His love for me Just like your gold Jesus washed all your sins 
away But since that day Yes, since that very hour yeah. God has been real For I can feel His holy power Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh my God is real He's real in my soul As we were singing this, I really felt the Lord speak to me just a moment ago that there may be one and there may be more than one person who, who really feels like you need a miracle. I don't know what it is that you need a miracle in, whether it's healing or finances, but if you feel that's you today, I want to ask you to come to this center aisle. If there's more than one, just make a line behind them. That's, if it's just one, that's fine. And if there's none, well, then that's fine. But as we continue to sing it, Aaron, I want you to come and I'm going to anoint you with oil that God would give you the desires of your heart. Come on, let's sing it one more time, church. There are some things I may not know There are some places says I can't go but I am sure of this one thing my God is real for I can feel him in my soul my God is
I cannot tell just how you felt when Jesus washed all your sins away. But since that day, that very hour, God has been real, for I can feel His holy power. Oh, my God is real. He's real in my soul. My God is real, for He has washed Just like your gold My God is real For I can feel Him in my soul My God is real He's so real in my soul Oh my God is real to Jesus and they, and they said, said just who are you 
You claim to be the Christ, greater than Abraham too. Jesus said everything that you said is true. I'm greater than Abraham, and before there was an Abraham, I am the great I am. Let me tell you who Jesus is. He's the rock of all ages. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the Heavenly Father. He's the beginning and the end. Much more than this, my friend. He's the Son of Man. He's coming back again. People today, they use his name. But it's usually in vain. No matter how you tell them, time and time again. Oh, but one of these days, every tongue shall proclaim, and every knee will bow. Let's not wait until that day. Praise the Lord right now. Let me tell you who Jesus is. Let the rock of all ages. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the Heavenly Father. He's the beginning and the end. Much more than this, my friend. He's the Son of Man. He's coming back again. Come on, let's worship the Lord. Clap your hands unto Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I know Jesus is the Father. I know Jesus is the Son. I know Jesus is the Holy Ghost. I know these three are one. Let me tell you who Jesus is. He's the rock of all ages. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He is the Heavenly Father. Much more than this, my friend, he's the Son of Man, he's coming back again, oh hallelujah, 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 amen, 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 the world needs Jesus. And it's you that's going to bring it to him. Bring him to them. It's, it's, it's you who's going to bring it. But you can't do it by being overly mild to where you never speak. You've got to have boldness and vigor like Peter. You've got to have fierceness like James. You've got to ask the questions like Philip. You've got to know who he is like John. So take the word of the Lord, like that light that shines in darkness. Give it to the world, give it to the world, give it to the world. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your presence, your word here today. Ask God that you would bless these people, that you would charge them as you charge the disciples. Send them out, empowered and emboldened. Bring your word to a world that is lost and on its way to hell. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord.
today they love Jesus, but they don't really know who he is. They put him second place in the Godhead, and to me that's a